Hi, welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast, where we attempt to equip people for kingdom release. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltoona.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. Hey friends, welcome to Vineyard Altoona. My name is Derek. I'm the co-senior pastor here and I'm so glad you've joined us. If this is the first time you're connecting with the Vineyard, I especially want to welcome you. Uh, I hope this is a beneficial time for you and I'd love to get to know you. Uh, Before we get too far into things today, what I want to just say, just by way of announcement, is I want you to take your calendar out and I want you to mark September 12th this year, September 12th. Uh, on your calendar. Uh, And what we're going to do on September 12th as a church is we're going to have a grand reopening. So as a church, our hope is to to be in a a permanent facility. uh, And and we think that that September is a great time for people to get back into habits and rhythms. And we believe that uh, the way things are going with vaccines and the like, that that uh, September 12th would be a great time for us to to come together again in a grand reopening. So uh, mark that on your calendar, make plans to be there. You're going to hear way more about that as as we go forward, okay? Uh, So with that, I want to begin, I I want you to just think back to March 2020. Think back to the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, and, And I want you to just sort of think about what you remember uh, whenever the pandemic finally like began to actually impact your life in a real way. Uh, Jerry and I were, were in San Diego for this, this vineyard meeting and we had boarded a plane to come back. And, and when we got on the plane, we knew there had been, you know, a handful of cases on the West coast. We had no idea, uh, you know, the, the scope of it. Uh, and so we came back, uh, at the beginning of March and we came to church the Sunday after, and, you know, we were there with everybody, and it was a great time, and we didn't have any idea that this would be the last time we would gather on a Sunday as normal. Uh, so I went through the, the rest of that week, uh, went to work, and flew a number of times, and as I got to the end of the week, you know, things were progressively growing and building, if you remember, and we got to the end of the week. And they had announced that kids were going home from school and they would not come back on Monday. And I remember driving home, you know, I was in the car, it was a sunny day and everything felt surreal. Do you remember that? Like everything just felt like everything in the world was different. Uh, And and everything had changed. I remember going home on, on that Friday and realizing that I needed to begin to think about what this meant for the church. You know, what did it mean uh, for how the church would gather? What did it, should we gather? And I remember thinking, well, I should send an email or make some sort of Facebook post or a communication of some sort. I need to, I need to do something. And I real quickly realized that I was out of my league to lead a church in a global pandemic, you know, and it's not like there's some chapter you can just, you know, flip to the the chapter on global pandemics and it tells you how to lead a church in a global pandemic. I realized 
real quickly that there's no manual (laughs) on how to lead a church in a global pandemic. And I realized, man, there's so many things to consider. I don't, I, I mean... I remember thinking as we were uh, writing the email to say that we would not meet on Sunday and, and we were trying to think, well, okay, so how do we continue as a community of followers of Jesus when we can't be together? You know, what does Sunday morning look like now that we can't meet? You know, as the lockdowns were happening, it was like, well, you know, if the group was less than 100, I was like, well, we're less than 100. That works. You know, if the group is less than 50, I was like, well, shoot, you know, we have more than 50. We got to figure out maybe it's two. And then it was like less than 25. And I was like, you know, what do you do for Sunday morning when we can't meet? I mean, I don't know if you remember, but we had zero, (laughs) zero online presence uh, at the beginning of this. And on top of that, how do you address the huge spike in anxiety that everyone in our community is feeling? How do we continue to engage in the mission of God when you can't meet people? How do you introduce people to Jesus when everybody's locked in their homes? And I felt buried in a laundry list of issues for which I had no clear guidance. I didn't know how to navigate. And all that came before, you know, the, the racial tensions and the political tensions and, you know, and, and all of that came even before, uh, before we started seeing cases even here in Altoona. There was so much and it just felt buried and I didn't know how to navigate. And I'm sure you felt similar things like, you know, how, how, how are you going to maintain your friendships when you are locked in your house, you know, or now your kids are going to be taught by you at home. I don't know about you. I mean, some of you I know are are teachers, but I wasn't a teacher and my wife was not a teacher. How are we going to teach our kids and what kind of an education are they going to get? How can we navigate these thorny issues in society about race and politics when we can't sit down across a table from one another and talk over coffee or a meal? Like, how do you do these things? And we all wish we had a book on how to do it, don't we? Friends, what we all needed was wisdom. What we needed was God's wisdom. We've been in this series uh, that I'm going to conclude today called Keep in Step, and it's, it's a series really built around our core value of joining what God is doing. And as we look forward to who God is calling us to be on September the 12th and beyond, One of the things that we are very, very solid on is that God wants us to be the kind of people who walk in step with him, the kind of people who are responsive to what he's doing in the world, the kind of people who know what God is up to and we join him in what he's doing. And today what I want to talk about is how to live a life in step with the Spirit, how to live a life that's marked by God's wisdom? How do we navigate life in God's wisdom? I'm calling the message, how do I live wisely? Let's pray and then we're going to turn to scripture. So Lord, I do welcome you into this time. And God, we desire to be a people who live wisely. Lord, a people who live in step with your spirit. God, that you would direct our steps. And Lord, that we trust you. 
And so God, as we open scripture today, would you speak to us? God, I pray that you would empower me to speak as I should. Lord, that you would give me your words to speak that none of me and all of you would show through. Put power on this message in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look today at uh, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'll give you a second to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Last week we were in Romans. Just one book past that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to begin in verse 6. 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 6. And here's what we read. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep thoughts, uh, deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Exp explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject merely uh, to human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You know, as we read this, Paul is talking and writing this letter to a church in Corinth, a church he planted, uh, to the Corinthian church. And wh what their problem is, is they're all mixed up about what wisdom is and what it means to be spiritual. Corinth is this city that's located on an isthmus between two port cities, and the, the, the distance is about four miles between these two port cities, and Corinth is located between the two. And so they, they, were, they would see lots of, of trade, and it's a busy trade route, and, but at the same time, what would come through Corinth was lots of various philosophies and lots of various religious teachers. And so what became common in Corinth was to evaluate the wisdom of various teachers and compare it to others. That the Corinthian people became a people who were sort of traders in wisdom. And they put a high value on wisdom because the prevailing belief, the, the, the Greek belief was that the spirit inside a person was good while the body was bad. And that the goal uh, of, of existence was to grow the spirit and enough wisdom that it could 
dis, uh, detach from the body and go off into a heavenly existence. So the, this, this was uh, the foundations of what became a second century heresy known as Gnosticism. But the idea was that, that we would feed the spirit enough wisdom that we would become more and more spiritual that we could attain to this disembodied heavenly existence. And I, I just want to make a side note. If this sounds like what you believe as the aim of Christian existence, what I want you to understand is this is not the Christian hope. That what the Bible teaches is not that we who follow Jesus go off to some disembodied existence. That's actually the very thing that Paul was writing against. That actually the Christian hope is a body, a bodily existence. So if this, if this actually rubs you kind of the wrong way, I would be happy to recommend that you read a book by uh, one of my favorite authors, N.T. Wright. It's a book called Surprised by Hope. And I'd love to talk with you about it if you read that. But the, the, the thing that Paul is writing against is this elevation of wisdom and knowledge above the body. And so when the people from Corinth were saved into the church, they brought this idea with them. You would think they would abandon it, but they did not. That it was more spiritual to have wisdom. And so this created all kinds of problems. And the fact of the matter is, <clears throat> our culture really isn't that different, is it? Like our culture is very similar. If you don't believe it, just take a look at whose teaching we consume on a regular basis. You know, uh, when I was an airline pilot, I would go terminal to terminal. And if you walk through the bookstores in various airline terminals, Almost certainly, what you could find was a book by Deepak Chopra, right? That, that somebody who could was a, a, a spiritual guru to teach you how to, to engage life well. Or, or think about this. Oprah's newest book is number one right now. Why not what I'm speaking to? It's number one on the New York Times bestseller list for hardcover nonfiction. It's a book for, uh, about how to deal with trauma that we listen to Oprah for how to deal with trauma, you know, and she has her own television network, in fact. Or think about how we learn about how to do family stuff well, right? Dr. Phil is the guy that people go to for family issues, right? We watch this on TV. Interestingly enough, uh, he and Dr. Oz were, were uh, two people made famous by uh, Oprah. Dr. Oz has been popular for years on how to do physical health, and come on. Can we just, how many different new and exciting episodes can you have about this new superfood that you need to incorporate into your diet to stave off some late, late in life issue, right? Uh, but the point is that in America, we do the same things with wisdom that the Corinthians did. Nearly 2,000 years ago, our cultures are actually very similar that we just sort of staple on wisdom from here and from there to try to navigate a good life. And Paul would confront us as well. Paul addresses the underlying issues in the church head on. And the first thing that he addresses is what wisdom is. A good definition of what wisdom is, is it's skill at life. 
It's skill at doing life. It's, it's understanding how life works in such a way that you can navigate it well. And, and some would say you need experience, right? That, that in order to have wisdom, you just get life experience. Or maybe you have a really good mentor, somebody who's old, who's done this for a long time. Uh, uh, you know, but, but what both of these things seem to indicate or, or point to is that there may be some things that you can learn, you know, if you have a bad job. You have a, a boss that treats you a certain way, that your experience of that will enable you to deal with a later experience, right? That if you have enough experience and you are observant enough, that they, they seem to indicate that you could be a wise person. But Paul, in this letter, he drills down deeper. Look again at verses 6. And seven, he says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Look at this, verse seven. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. You know, Paul's tapping into this deep root of Hebrew history and Hebrew understanding of wisdom, this word chokmah, wisdom, that we talk about in Proverbs. He echoes the Proverbs, and when he says that God created the world to work a certain way, that he built into the world a wisdom that would navigate life well, and, and built into the fabric of the way the world was created is the way that life is supposed to work. This is God's wisdom. And Paul says that God's wisdom is a mystery. Now, I think when we see the word mystery in the Bible, we think a certain thing, right? Like this is a thing that we struggle to understand. But in the Bible, whenever you see the word mystery, a mystery in the Bible is something that was hidden, but that has God has now revealed. And so here's the point. What, what Paul is saying is that built into the fabric of the way the world works is this, this available understanding of how to do life well? That it's available, that you can grasp it, that we can have it, that we can understand how to do life well. So, how do we get wisdom? How is it that we get wisdom? Listen, I'm sure you've met people like this, I've met people like this, who, you know, they're really old, they have lots of life experience, and they just seem really wise, right? And, you know, it seems to be true that evaluated experience and uh, some, some life experience can, you know, maybe give you a little bit of skill at living, but there seem to be limitations to that. And this is what Paul says. Look at verse 8 again. He says, none of the rulers of this age, these are the people who are expounding on their wisdom in Corinth, None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What Paul is saying is that evaluated experience can only take you so far. You know, having a good mentor can only take you so far. Getting diverse opinions, it can only take you so far. Because here's the point. Paul says that Jesus Christ crucified is the wisdom of God. And yet the wise people missed it. How is it that they missed it? Why did they miss it? 
Paul says they missed it because it didn't conform to their logic and understanding, to their reason, to the way that they expected the world to work. The Jews missed it because there was no way that a Messiah, a true Messiah, would be crucified. The Greeks missed it because there's no way God, who is this elevated spiritual being, would ever take on flesh this lesser existence. And so it was it was a scandal to the Jews and it was foolishness to the Greeks. And yet Paul says it was the wisdom of God to those who are being saved. Here's my point. God's wisdom doesn't necessarily make sense to our reason and logic. Friend, if you always walk on your reason and logic, it'll work in a lot of ways, but you won't be completely wise. You won't be able to navigate all the things in life because God's wisdom doesn't always line up with what your reason and experience would dictate. There has to be something more foundational about getting wisdom. Proverbs 1.7 says this, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you want to have wisdom, what both Proverbs and what Paul say is that it begins by positioning yourself appropriately before God. That that positioning yourself in the fear of God or the respect and reverence of God is the beginning of wisdom. Look again here at uh, verse 10. It says, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Listen, if you want to understand God's wisdom, what Paul says is that you need God's Spirit. The Corinthians believed that the more wisdom they had, the more spiritual they would be. But Paul flips it over on its head. And what Paul says is that the Spirit of God knows the thoughts of God. The wisdom of God then is revealed by the Spirit of God. So a life of wisdom is a life that is filled, that is possessed by the Spirit of God. The issue here is an issue of order. The Corinthians believed wisdom made you spiritual. Paul says the Spirit of God makes you wise. So what does it mean to be spiritual? In our day, people say things that maybe you've heard this, maybe is, is, I'm not, I'm spiritual, not religious, right? Have you heard that, that phrase? And generally what people mean when they say I'm spiritual, not religious, is that I like spiritually ecstatic experiences. I like to engage in enlightening experiences, something external to myself, right? That's generally what people mean, but they don't want to get attached to a particular religious belief system, or they don't want to be accountable to just one religious God of some sort. But when Paul talks about being spiritual, 
He's not talking about some enlightened state or some ecstatic experience. He, he includes these things in the fruit of what it is to be spiritual. But for Paul, being spiritual means being animated by the Spirit, being uh, uh, controlled by the Spirit, being indwelt by the Spirit of God. He means uh, being surrendered to and obedient to the work of the Spirit of God inside of you. This is what, it, for Paul, it means to be spiritual, is that the Spirit is in charge of your life. And so, for Paul, you're spiritual to the degree that the Spirit of God is in control of you. And what he says is, to the degree that the Spirit of God is in control of your life, you will have access to the wisdom of God. This is what Paul is saying. So let me just maybe bring this home. Let's bring it all together and let me make a point. You know, we talk a lot in this church about joining what God is doing, that we want to join what God is doing. And, and I think... Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of this. What we, what, what we mean really is that we want to keep in step with what God is doing, that we don't want to just do our own thing and hope God will come along and bless it. We want to discern what God is doing and what God is blessing and just get in line with what he's doing. And so there's this sense in which we might, we might think that that means, well, Anything and everything we do, I always have to ask God, God, are you doing something now? God, are you doing something now? God, are you doing something now? And at some points in life, we do that, right? But what it actually means is that we're continually submitting our decisions to the Lord. And it looks like a lot of things. You know, when you're a new Christian, when you begin to follow Jesus, you surrender your life to Jesus, frequently what happens is that you read Scripture, and as you read scripture, you, you begin to apply it to your life. And what you discover early on is that there's a whole lot of your life that's out of sync with what God is doing, right? Like, you, you know, you have to, you have to deal with the, your drinking habits and you have to deal with your sexual habits and you have to deal with, you know, the, the anger in your life and the ways that you, you know, fits of rage, all these things that they, they're just out of line in your life with how God desires you to live. And so the Spirit of God early on does a whole lot of changing, right? A whole bunch of things just come out of your life, right? And, and it feels like a lot. And we get to the end of that process, and I think a lot of times we're like, phew, I'm glad I'm done with all that. And what we discover is that the Spirit of God is more in control of our lives Right? We have this, this state where we just really feel like close to God. And the Spirit of God speaks wisdom to our lives. And we discover wisdom becomes active in our lives. And then God comes along again. And he says, all right, now that we did that, let's talk about your relationships. You're like, I thought we, <laughs> I thought we were done. You know, that, that, first time, that first go around was a lot. And so God says, okay, well, this relationship is not healthy. It, it needs to end. This relationship's got to go. I want you to be in relationship with these people, right? Like God wants you to begin to be in relationship with people who follow Jesus to help you begin to follow Jesus the way they follow Jesus. 
And so uh, he begins to do all this work in your relationships and, and it feels like a lot, right? And you surrender those things to God and the spirit of God takes more control over your life. And what you discover is that the wisdom of God is more active in your life and you feel closer to God. And so maybe you begin to settle in again and, and then God says, okay, now we need to deal with some of your motivations. We need to understand the stuff underneath, right? We need to deal with the fact that you tend to use people for your own purposes and ends. We need to deal with the fact that you sort of posture yourself to look better than you are. We need to deal with the fact, you know, that, uh, th- that you, uh, you, know, you have to be affirmed by other people to be okay. We have to deal with that thing. And so God then begins to reorient our motivations. And he, he shapes those and God, God is pulling and prying and, and shaping our motivations till we get to a place where we, we want to surrender our motivations to the Spirit of God. And what we discover is that the Spirit of God has more control over our lives and that the wisdom of God is more active in our lives. And we discover that we're becoming wise people, that we're becoming more spiritual people, that the Spirit of God has more control over our lives. And listen, the goal of of this is not that we would just sit still until God orders us to go someplace. The goal here is that we would be so controlled by the Spirit of God that He could begin to trust us to make choices because they would come out of the wisdom of God. This is the invitation to us to keep in step. This is the invitation to us to be a people who join what God is doing all through our whole lives.